Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Less ill than last week, but still a little coffee. Um, and I'm boy, I could use a little coffee right now. But uh, we're back doing Britain, the show. Britain, it's, it's 8.37 at night. I think you might have a problem. <laughs> you, We've been waiting to talk about this. What do you mean? My hands always... Do you guys normally talk this slow? What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> spit it out. Spit it out. What movie are we watching? Let's do this. Um, <laughs> we are talking about a new franchise yeah. uh, this week that just recently had the third installment. Was that 2022 or is that earlier? Uh, it was like January. Sorry, I right at the beginning of this year. So, open up the ability for us to meet our our three movie limit, which we have never broken uh, in the history of this podcast. Um, so we are talking about Kingsman, maybe Kingsman: The Secret Service. Yes. Is is that the full? Okay. I think there's yeah. something weird where like the comic was called The Secret Service, and then they rebranded yeah. it as Kingsman: The Secret Service after the movie came out. Um. We won't talk about the comic much. Just yeah, <laughs> it was it, it was the uh, art was by Dave Gibbons, which kind of like sure. I don't know how. I, I mean, I obviously love Watchmen, so like I don't know how I feel about that. I'm sure it's fine until it isn't like like all of Mark Millar's work. Most, uh, <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, Jupiter's <laughs> Legacy is pretty steady. <laughs> I haven't read a lot of these things, I will say. Yeah, so. same. Uh, but yeah, this is our, uh, I guess, our second film from Matthew Vaughn's that we've reviewed for the podcast. Mm-hmm. We we haven't we haven't talked about him since all the way back with uh, X Men First Class. Mm. The oh, other wow. one of his movies I come closest to liking. There you go. What else has he done? Uh, so he I meant to look this he up, made both. We're gonna do movies. it live. No, he made the the first Kick Ass movie. Oh, just the first Kick Ass movie, right? Oh. Okay. Oh, well, Jeff Wadlow like made the second one, which is why everyone oh, hated the second interesting. one. Except for me, because I'm a sick individual. Correct. <laughs> nasty, filthy boy. We uh, he also <laughs> made he made Stardust, um, yeah. the, based on the Neil Gaiman book, and he made a movie called Layer Cake, a gangster movie with Daniel Craig. Sure. And then he made the Three Kingsman movies. Um, I've seen a lot of his movies, and I don't tend to like them but it's interesting for me because he's not he's not a director where i can point at like oh well he this is the style this is the stylistic thing he does that i don't like or this is the writing thing there's not like a thing about matthew vaughn that i don't like i think he just hasn't made a movie that i really responded to i remember liking first class but i haven't watched that in years Mm -hmm. so i've no i might still like it i don't know and then this one i thought was fine but all like his other movies i either disliked or was like all right whatever like i just it's not so much that I think he's bad as he he hasn't like he hasn't he hasn't gotten me yet he hasn't won me over yet you know yeah. he'll get there I the way I him. I the way I tend to think about his kind of style and just the way he makes movies I I tend to lump it in the category of rough around the edges sure um Britain I very much agree I think probably X Men First Class and Kick Ass are the only ones that I truly like respond to mm-hmm. and I I do like this this first Kingsman quite a bit. Um, but we'll get into it. It's got issues. Uh, but I feel like there's always some element, and I don't know if it's just his filmmaking sensibilities or what. There's always one thing that you know that's just kind of like I, I have to give it some pause. I can't fully yeah. like get invested in this. It's very weird. Um, 
But yeah, so Kingsman, The Secret Service, uh, directed by Matthew Vaughn from 2015. It has a 75% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 84% audience score. Yeah, I remember this being kind of a surprise hit when it came out because, at least in the circles I was in, I think people had we people didn't really know about the comic that I knew, and they were like, this movie kind of came out of nowhere. It has this crazy cast. It's, you know, it was like a January or February, like early year mm-hmm. release, which is used to be pretty, wait. If I remember correctly, I think it opened Valentine's Day weekend against oh, wow. the first Fifty Shades movie. <laughs> so it was meant as counter-programming. Sure. Okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah, well, all the boys went to go see Dakota Johnson. All the girls went to see Taron Edgerton. Sure. I got it. I got yeah. it. Um, no, I, uh, I, I just remember this, this kind of have, has lived in my mind as being this like surprisingly good movie that pe- people felt was surprisingly good. Not necessarily in that they thought it was amazing, but that, oh, an, a, a release that early from something no one knows what it is, but it has, it's somehow generated this really good cast and like, oh, you know what? All right, that worked out pretty well. That it mm-hmm. it was one, it just nobody thought any it it wasn't like something that people were excited about building up to it. I guess is what I what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um. And then Eddie the Eagle came out, and everyone had Taron Edgerton fever. Yeah, what's he been up to since then? Meeting with Marvel, apparently. I was gonna say apparently meeting with Marvel about not being. Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> is, um, is my understanding. <laughs> I will say, uh. Well, I guess I'll, I'll do the synopsis and then I'll say what I was going to say. Gary Eggsy Unwin. That's right. Those are the first three words of the synopsis. Um, whose late father secretly worked for a spy organization, lives in a South London housing estate, and seems headed for a life behind bars. However, dapper agent Harry Hart recognizes potential in the youth and recruits him to be a trainee in the Secret Service. Meanwhile, villainous Richmond Valentine launches a diabolical plan to solve the problem of climate change via a worldwide killing spree. Spoilers? Yeah, echoes of night moves there. Um, yeah, I will say, uh, I, I I like Taron Edgerton. I think... Oh, he's he was in Rocketman. I'm, yeah, he I was. was. Just like, I was from Rocketman, and I was like, well, <laughs> I, knew, I knew this. I knew this while watching the movie, and I just had forgotten it momentarily. I think For comedy effect. He is one of those actors who could... I, I, I could so easily see the timeline where he never hit he didn't get interesting parts he didn't get good parts and he became another they they kept trying to do the same Worthington Jai Courtney thing with him sure. and never let him just like go be an actor which uh, I've been watching Under the Banner of Heaven Sam Worthington just like he's good in that just like let let him right? do that <laughs> like yeah you don't you don't need to always make him a guy with a machine gun yeah. um but Taron Edgerton has had this really interesting career and he's really talented I, I think he's a great screen presence um he he has the like He's very accessible. You're like square jaw, good looking white guy. Yep, movies audiences will watch that. But he's also talented, and he's got a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He's very likable. He's fantastic in Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a movie I know Alex and I are both really big fans of, and he's wonderful in it. Um, and like I, I, I probably have seen him in other stuff as well that I can't think of. I think he'd be a cool Wolverine Apparently. if they ever yeah. went with that. I'd be fine with it. I don't know. He's, he's one of those people who I'm like, I'm glad. I'm glad that you have been given good opportunities. Um, largely, I think, by Dexter Fletcher, and and given the opportunity to like show what you can do because he's he's quite capable. I, I I like him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think this movie could have been very much at risk of having a very bland protagonist, oh, yeah. and just with the script, I don't know 
I, th- I think it is a case where he he really elevates it. And I know Completely. Matthew Vaughn's great at casting. Mm-hmm. Like all mm-hmm. of his movies are very, very well cast. Um, I know people aren't the biggest fans of Aaron Taylor Johnson when he uses an American accent. I like him in <laughs> Kick-Ass. But obviously like X-Men, Michael Fassbender, James sure, McAvoy, like sure. mm-hmm. superb casting. Um, I'd be curious. I, I haven't seen First Class probably since we reviewed it uh, back in back in the day. And I've since downloaded like... 3,000% more X-Men knowledge into my brain. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if I'd have the same response, but I really enjoyed it at the time. I will also say uh, random, random, uh, what do you call it? Uh, promo for Taron Edgerton's upcoming things. Apparently he's, he was in a series called Blackbird on Apple TV. Yeah. Plus that yeah, yeah. has super good reviews that I've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> and he's also in a movie called Tetris for uh, Apple TV, hmm. which, uh, sounds neat it's about like people make it in tetris so you know what okay i'm on board like a bio biopic kind of thing so yeah i i I have certainly heard good things about him and and blackbird apparently he does a lot of uh behind prison bars push-ups um that guy clearly does a lot of push-ups his upper body is very impressive um (laughs) yeah people uh apparently people were like hey we want more taron edgerton doing uh serious stuff and apple tv was like your your wishes are commands let's do it <laughs> here's two of them uh, here's two there's <laughs> two things yeah but yeah you'll go back and watch x-men first class and be like why is darwin only in like two scenes right which yeah. is what i say because i like the actor who plays darwin right sure um, and then you'll go oh hey kevin bacon i forget yeah. you're in this you're not you're pretty solid kevin in this bacon is, is like the first thing i think about when i think about that movie and i don't know why <laughs> well never mind <laughs> uh kevin bacon i remember him being pretty good in that um you know what movie we're talking about though kings is uh is kingsman the secret service that's right although if uh, you ask me maybe they should have called it king's women because you know roxy's the only one who gets anything done in this movie sure <laughs> not, not really a, true i mean <laughs> Brit, britain's making a face like you would see in the uh in in a youtube thumbnail from like somebody <laughs> who makes a video every day and has to like put a really crazy headline and right. graphics in there yeah just imagine like a lot arrow of like pointing at his face right yeah, exactly. pointing at his face yeah. <laughs> at his nose for some reason i don't i don't i'm not totally following uh well but i i will use that as a as a, a jumping in point because but for one scene uh which is almost a pun there is something i oh. liked about this so, so this movie uh I, alex i can understand why it appeals to you it is very much a parody of love letter of akin to anti not quite james bond old style james bond kind of deal and one of the things i really liked about this is that there's not a love story in it i liked that uh roxy who becomes who's another trainee i like that they don't make any caveats about like like i did the joke but nobody says like king's women or oh you'll be our first female trainee they're all just like you're also training for this and she becomes Lancelot, and which is her code name. And they're all like, "Yep, that's what it is." And she and they don't try to force a love story between her and Eggsy. They just like let her be an agent. And there's never really like any sensationalizing about that, or like kind of patting the movie doesn't pat itself on the back. It just sort of puts a woman in that in that position and lets her be a capable agent. Uh, Sophia Butella is is fun in this, and I liked that. You know, there's not a a scene where she's like trying to seduce Taron Edgerton or something or where they, they there's like a bit in their training where they're going off to supposedly seduce somebody. And that's not even really what they're supposed to do. Right. 
Like they do a lot of sidestepping, which I thought was was kind of cool. I don't mind a love story in a movie, but I like this movie didn't feel the need to shoehorn those things in given the tropes of the genre it's in. You know, you know, Britton, I love I love how you're just laying the track for next week's episode. You're just <laughs> oh, you're just so it's there. You're just oh, setting no. it up for us. No. <laughs> No. I assume you're indicating that Taron Egerton and Pedro Pascal have a romance. Oh. You know, that would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll talk about it. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, and that's what made Pedro Pascal go, maybe I should work with more very small people. <laughs> <laughs> Taron Egerton's not that short. Pedro Pascal's is very tall. Baby Yoda is who I was referencing. Sure. I, I was Star Wars? also thinking. What, what's, what's that? that? It's like... Um, <laughs> Okay. I was thinking that was The Last of Us. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like uh, it's like Star Star Trek, but uh, like in a fantasy clothing. Okay. I would like to remind our audience I am not on so Twitter. Like, uh, you can't find Harry, me. Harry Potter. Kind of like you. Know, it's kind of like Harry Potter, or like the the MCU. I would say it's like the MCU times like a thousand. Um. <laughs> Star Wars is like Harry we Potter. I'm having feel trouble scared talking that. about Kingsman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll stop feel. talking. Y'all, y'all no, no, no. I, th- I, I am saying this is a theme. I think we are Im- immediately noticing. Um, I, I think this movie, yeah, it does a lot of very smart things with the characters. Um, the movie itself, I think is really well put together for the most part. Um, I really like the action in this. There is kind of a cool, uh, it's a, it's a thing I haven't really seen any other movies try to do. I can't, I can't think of any, I mean, maybe I'm like totally ignorant here and this is totally like aping off of some way better action intense movie. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not like the expert on this by any means, but there's a lot of like, <clears throat> really well choreographed fights that do a lot of zoom ins and zoom outs that I think put a cool punch on the action without making it distracting or hard to follow. Um, it makes it feel kind of jerky and rough, but in a way that, uh, you know, gives it an emphasis and isn't, you know, the, the kind of when, when I think of the, uh, the, the green grass effect and how over time that can get to where it's just like, you have no idea what's going on because we're cutting every second, uh, this is a lot cleaner than that, but still I think kind of comes away with a similar effect. So um, I, I like the way it looks quite a bit. The acting is fantastic. Uh, the script for the most part, I think has a lot of good stuff going on in it. Um, I think for me, I, I don't know where we want to start even with it because I, I could talk a lot about the first two acts, which I like a lot, or, or we could just dive into the third act, which I think is where most of our problems are going to come in. <laughs> Uh, collect- I don't know if each of us individually have the same problems, but I think collectively that's where a lot of them will come up for us. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if we want to just go straight to there. Uh, but that's where my mind goes. Yeah, I, I will quickly just to I, I completely agree with everything you said about the action sequences. I like how much of it was stunts. I liked how much of it was a bunch of stunt actors doing stunt stuff. Mm-hmm. At times you can clear- tell that's definitely not Colin Firth, but sure. whatever. I get it. That's fine. I like Colin Firth. I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be in danger. Um, <laughs> but like, I like the action sequences. I, I thought they were fun and they were creative and like, there's a whole big one in a church. That's just insane. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I thought the camera work was, was fun. It was very showy, but it didn't, it, the, the showiness didn't get in the way of me understanding or enjoying the fight sequence. 
Um, so yeah, I would agree. I think I respect this style more than I like it. And obviously, I'm the guy that resists like speed ramping and the quick cuts yeah. and everything probably the most. And yes, I think it does maintain a a very high level of uh, focus, um, which is very hard to do. But I, I stylistically, I just didn't like it very much. Sure, sure. Like the opening scene um, in the bar where Harry is beating up all of the, the guys that are, are threatening Eggsy. Like, I can appreciate it on on just a base, like, people shot a scene and it's yeah. well done. I can see what's happening, but I didn't really enjoy it because it's just way too quick and the movements are all unrealistic. And I don't know. Matthew Vaughn's got this weird thing where just stylistically, like, so much of his stuff really seems super high level. But then some stuff just seems like he's cutting corners. And, sure. like, with special effects, like, he is so hit and miss, <laughs> like... A lot of the digital work looks really good, and then some of it is like, did did you guys even bother with that green screen effect? <laughs> oh, like when the guy's hair is caught on fire, and it looks like yeah. somebody just held up some crinkly paper in front of the camera? Yeah. The, the biggest, the most distracting one for me was when they take the elevator from the tailor shop down <laughs> to mm. the um, the big uh, train system that takes them to the, the Kingsman uh, facility. There's just like, it's just a very simple effect of like green screen. There's a brick wall behind them as they go down. It looks really bad. <laughs> I'm like, that is, should be the simplest effect in the world. I may have missed that one somehow. I thought yeah. some, some of the like, when Roxy is at the edge of the atmosphere shooting the missile, some of that was a little, yeah. looked a little like unsophisticated, but unsophisticated, unsophisticated. Yeah. But it didn't feel like. I don't know. It was like, oh, that's probably a budget thing. Like you guys worked on it all. It's all smooth. It just, I know that's a digital effect, but you know. Yeah. I think Matthew Vaughn tends to have smaller budgets with his movies. Like I know Kick-Ass was extremely low. Yeah. First Class was probably the most. And even that one has some dodgy effects. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think. Well, they yeah, probably that's, that's up the budget I... a lot for the next one, right? And I bet it, all the effects look great. I don't remember having any complaints <laughs> about the action scenes in that, but we'll... Okay. Uh, All right. At least from a, a aesthetic level. How many we'll... ostriches are in the action? Because I know you love ostriches in action mm-hmm. sequences. Mm-hmm. Does Elton John in like a big ridiculous getup count as an ostrich? That's a kind good of... question. <laughs> well, I guess like, we'll like a peacock suit. Out. Yeah, well, then he would be a peacock, wouldn't he, Alex? I was gonna say, it does it. Can we can we fudge can it? Kind of, can we yeah. can get it to work? You know what? I think mm, next week we'll be back with our yeah, conclusion. We'll make a decision. Yeah, yeah. John instead of grading the movie, we'll just decide. Yeah, that'll be on the ostrich spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the action scenes very competent. Not not quite my style. Tyler, where, to take us somewhere. <laughs> um. So. I kind of have two, I think, two main... If we're talking about before we get into the third act, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think my other quibble with this is that... I mean, so the idea is... Uh, Eggsy gets uh, the medal from Colin Firth when his father, who Colin Firth recruited, dies saving himself, or saving Colin Firth and the rest of the team, the Kingsman team, who's, like, taken out doing something in uh, the middle east um and uh so he gets this medal he gets uh 
in a car chase, which is, I think, pretty well done. Um, and I think I'm just kind of re- like recapping part of the plot of this movie while I organize my thoughts about the part I actually have a problem with. But <laughs> he uh, gets recruited by Colin Firth to then like be a Kingsman. That part I, I'm a little shaky on because he's kind of like, I think you're a good man. And you're just in bad circumstances because uh, Taron Egerton's character is growing up uh, in, you know, in a, an apartment with just his mother who has a horrible, abusive uh, now husband. Like, he's got a stepfather that is terrible to him. Um, and a little sibling who I do not like the treatment of in this movie, who which is... And, and that probably gets into some of the other things I have to say about this, which is that I think this movie does some things that are, like, really interesting, but then doesn't put the cap on them to make them impactful. It just makes them, like, upsetting. True. <laughs> so I'll, I'll spin back around to that. Um, but so for one, I'm a little fuzzy on, like, I guess, was Colin Firth monitoring him the whole time? Like, why does he necessarily trust this kid, I guess, just because he trusted his, his dad. Um, that part felt... Because th- there's a conversation that he has with uh, Colin Firth, with, with Harry, when they show up before the bar fight, where he's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, like, basically, you're making terrible choices. You're going down the wrong path. Your dad would be really disappointed in you, etc., etc. Um, and then... Colin Firth puts a microphone thing that can also broadcast his voice on. I like to call it a doodad, a doodad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so he does hear that he doesn't tell his stepfather about who Colin Firth was, which is a point in Exy's book, I guess. But like. That was a little strange to me that he a the kind of the convenience of like, oh, he happened to need conference house on help on the same day that Colin Firth needed to find a recruit but then also it's it's a little fuzzy to me why he would trust him aside from this like he does have this one instance where he doesn't give him up they but, do hints uh, that uh Harry knows Eggsy's background and that he's been keeping tabs on him when they're in the bar he starts okay. listing off his credentials he's like you were potentially Olympic material with your gymnast right. skills and you were in the army but then you dropped out like right. he's I, he knows his resume at the very least yeah that's true i guess i read that as like him having researched before picking him up true. from the uh the police precinct but yeah maybe maybe you're right maybe he has um but i think that kind of then puts me on shaky ground a bit as to like they they give like they say the thing about the olympic stuff uh and and give some insight like he do, he's apparently incredible at driving cars because we see the car chase uh so they they like lay some groundwork that he's very capable but i think that then he goes to the kingsman academy thing and we don't really get anything in between there and him being a like you know amazing incredible super spy like we kind of we kind of jump the gap there uh one thing that was really distracting me is that they start with 12 recruits uh at the at the school and then there's a flood that they do on purpose to see who 
knows how to breathe underwater and also escape the the, the room and that's where they they had the one person who was actually a plant uh she she dies quote unquote but we find out later at least in a line yeah. that apparently she's fine um we never actually see her again but uh yeah then i think we jump from there to like six people uh, and there's like a couple of scenes that so show them out in in a field doing stuff. Like he shoots a balloon off somebody at some point, and that's like okay, he can shoot good. Um, but there's there's such a gap I think between where he starts off uh, and why he should be capable beyond the fact that he's the son of this other guy who succeeded at one point. Uh, to getting him to be the super spy and there's like some montages but the montages don't really do enough for me to show him actually learning these skills it's kind of like here's a random moment from his training and then we kind of pick back up when there's six of them uh, and they're doing the big mission where they're dropping out of the airplane um and at that point he's kind of like got all his skills and he's he's good to go and he's he's done everything and i I think that there is something missed to his character in that in that section no, um, I agree. It's kind of I like think they, yeah, go, they go speed him up very quickly. That was yeah, that was my whole point. No, it's kind of like in Ready Player One, where the character at one point goes, "I was now level ninety nine. and I went, "Wait, right. what?" <laughs> yeah, I think that has to do with just the pacing issues of the movie. When they, there's kind of the main villain plot, and then we have like this almost like superhero origin story off yeah. on the side, and they don't really merge all that well. Sure. And then you get halfway through the movie, and you're like. All right, back to the villain plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I at least appreciated that they did have a training montage, and it's like, sure. no, he is learning stuff. Like, they even show the um, candidates in a classroom, like, taking a test or yeah. studying or something. I'm like, oh, that's – all right, that's that's something at least. So at least the movie can hand wave, like, oh, we are actually teaching them some skills. Yeah. Um, but I do agree. I don't, I don't feel like – we don't really get, like – oh, Eggsy's, you know, he's good at, at you know, at being a gymnast and all this stuff. He's got great agility and he's he's smart. Um, but we don't really get like, oh, does he have any weaknesses? Maybe he's not as good at, at gunplay as some of the other guys or, you know, anything like that. There's not kind of that interesting hook of like, oh, he's got he's got some sort of Achilles heel. Yeah. Or something he has to, to work on or like yeah. lessons he really has to learn. Yeah. Um, and I like a lot of the scenes that are happening there. I think it's very entertaining mm-hmm. moment to moment. Just when looking at the whole arc of the movie, I think that stands out as not fully developed or explained. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, X-Men first class kind of does that too. Yeah. It mm-hmm. has the montage where uh, professor X is teaching all the new uh, mutants how to control their powers. At least that's just like, here's the one thing you need to get right. Here's, you just need to learn how to use your power. It's not like, here's these variety of skills that you need to improve on. Was it here's Gar- your skill tree. <laughs> yeah. Was it Guardians of Cool, speaking of trees, where there was like a flying maneuver that he was trying to get and trying to get, and at the end he finally gets it during the big fight? Am that I thinking of right. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's something along those lines. Yeah, because that's, that's, that feels like such a trope of this kind of storyline that... I'm not saying I need it, but that's the kind of thing, like Alex, you're saying. There's not like yeah. a thing he was struggling with that then he he gets to in the in the finale. Um, and Alex and I were talking about this before we recorded that there, there's this constant refrain of you're going to be a gentleman. I'm going to teach you how to be a gentleman spy. This is how you'd be a gentleman. But there's not a lot of like training regarding that. And 
this is one of the things problems with the script, not of Taron Edgerton, but Eggsy doesn't feel to me like a bad kid. It's he's pretty clearly a good guy that is just not living up to his potential. And so there's not, you know, like etiquette lessons or now you're going to learn here's a nice suit, but you're not going to learn like why the suit is nice. And there's not a scene where they're like, this is how the cut of the pants should be. And this is how, you know, far down the tie should go and everything, which is fine. that There wasn't that, but it just felt odd for them to keep referencing this other component of his training that they never they didn't seem to lean into very much. It was almost like the code of ethics, maybe, of that organization that we don't get mm. much of, of a sense of. Um, <clears throat> which, like I said, it's not that's not a thing in movies that I want, but it felt like they were mentioning yeah. it and then not actually supplying yeah. it. And it's a it's kind of a weird conflict because like Colin Firth and Michael Caine, uh, as the head of the organization, they have a, a sort of a butting of heads over like, do we need to do this a new way or do we yeah. follow our traditions? Um, and so you'd think there might be kind of a rejection of that. Like it almost feels like it would be more in character for him to, I don't know, find a way to be a spy and not have the suit and everything sure. like that. He would go totally and just like be his own dude. And like, he's showing up and pretending to be a super rich kid at the party at the end. Um, and instead, he he does like he just dresses like Colin Firth and does kind of a Colin Firth impression. He, yeah. it, it's fun. It's it's fun to see him do that. Um, it's just a little odd. Yeah, that's yeah. Again, not not super baked in there. And it's something like, um, I can easily track his. I can track the actor's performance of that journey, but the script doesn't supply that much. Where you're like, yeah, Exy. I don't. I don't know. It doesn't feel like Exy has a thing that he has to overcome in himself skill set or personality maybe i'm missing something yeah i think i mean it's hard to tell where the line is because if this is supposed to be a take on like roger moore bond films bond never has a character arc in those sure, Just sure, bond sure. goes on Fair. a mission so it's like i mean i guess but this is supposed to be an origin story of sorts so maybe adding a bit more difficulty to Exe's arc yeah. I don't know some some yeah. some more roadblocks in his way. I don't know. Um, <coughs> I did want to uh, circle back real quick to the kind of logic and the timing of of how this process goes when a Kingsman dies, and so they have to recruit all these candidates to to compete for the position. Um, so at the beginning, when we have the flashback to Exy's father sacrificing himself. Um, Jack Davenport's character, the the kind of new Lan- Lancelot, also yeah. uh, Commodore Norrington from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah. Um, they're like, all right, you're the new Lancelot, dude. Um, but that, in hindsight, makes me confused because once Eggsy's father dies, shouldn't they then hold the competition and start recruiting people? Yeah. Well, because- Why do they have this new guy who is not technically a Kingsman on this mission with them? It's like, it's almost like that was part of his training in a way. Yeah. So I don't know. They just kind of, yeah. And then he dies soon. And I was sad. Cause I wanted to see more of Jack Davenport. <laughs> um, yeah. He had a fun action scene though. He, he does did, have yeah. a very good, he does an action scene where he does a very good sort of James Bond, yeah. uh, evocation, uh, as, as a great, a couple great lines about whiskey and like, does does some good stuff and then he gets uh horribly murdered yeah. by getting sliced in half for from sure. top to bottom sure. and uh, an effect that not not great when he actually like falls apart 
it is not it is on a similar level to the Mortal Kombat film from last year, which maybe doesn't say great things about the Mortal Kombat <laughs> film from last year. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think kind of the logistics to get the ball rolling are a little dubious, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because then So I get so he's trying to take Lancelot's spot after the new Lancelot gets sliced in half, but then uh Colin Firth dies in this and that after uh Exeus failed, which I, I'm not So that I mean I guess if we're talking about things that Exe struggles with, I, I don't totally know how I feel about Again, it's like it's it's raising an interesting point, but it's not really locking it in and doing something with it. Um the the reason that Roxy gets to be Lancelot and not Exe is because they have been raising this they've Everyone gets their own dog to raise during the process of being a Kingsman or training to be a Kingsman. Uh, and then at the end, uh, they're like, all right, shoot your dog. Uh, and we learn that the gun had blanks and the dogs are never in danger. But Exy can't do it. Uh, and Roxy did. So her dog's fine and she gets to be Lancelot. Um, and like Harry reprimands Exy about this because he's like, I got to, to keep my dog for years because it was a blink because we're not psychos. I mean, yeah. you're kind of psychos, but we, like, we never, <laughs> we never endanger one of, we never endanger life unless it's necessary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and all of the tests have been tricks where, right. Like nobody was actually in any real danger. Right. Unless somebody's parachute malfunctioned in that, uh, right. Free fall scenario. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's kind of like, I I don't I don't 100% know what we're getting away from that if that's supposed to be like Exy should have been more cruel and because he basically he ends up getting to he doesn't replace uh Harry as Galahad. Yeah, he doesn't replace him as Galahad because they have to start up a whole new process apparently, but then he kind of just joins the team because Michael Caine turns out to be a traitor and get into that. Um so he might as well just be one of the Kingsmen as Galahad. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if we're supposed to take away that he learned a lesson from that, or if that is like, oh, it was a rejection of, like, it was good of him to reject that, but also then that would reflect poorly on Roxy and like Roxy doesn't, is not supposed to be. So there's not, they don't really do anything with that towards the end. Again, to have a payoff, it's like, this is a really interesting setup. Um, and like conversation that the movie is having, but it's yeah, not it drawing like, that out. It feels like the end is missing a scene where Merlin is basically speaking to the other Kingsman members on Exy's behalf to be like, he just saved the world. Here's why he deserves to be in sure. here. And there's like a discussion about that before they actually let him in. feels like that's well, missing. Yeah. Or like a, a moment where, you know, he's supposed to kill Samuel L. Jackson or, uh, I don't know. S- somebody, uh, maybe maybe lady with uh blade legs. I don't know what gazelle, gazelle, right. yeah. Um, which maybe, is fun. Maybe her, like, uh, you know, it it feels like maybe there's a point at which that should have come up, and then because he didn't kill them, the day was saved, or like, uh, I don't know. I I I think that there is there's a couple of payoffs missing from the third act. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
I also, and I also just this is minor, but to go off what Tyler said about raising an interesting idea and not doing much with it, the whole Arthurian thing didn't really work for me. And this is probably because I'm such like an Arthur nerd, but like mm. it felt like I don't know. I didn't need like a full breakdown. I didn't need a literal like. Once you get really good, you get a gun called Excalibur. You know, <laughs> I, I, good, I didn't need to get that extreme, but it really just feels like. Yeah, that one's Lancelot and Arthur and Galahad and the tech guy is Merlin, which I like. I like that idea. Right. Tech guy is Merlin and weird knights. That's right. Is we're gentlemen, but go kill men. Like it just felt like a neat kind of naming convention, but they didn't like explore it very much. Yeah. Um, does every Kingsman have an Arthurian name? Is, does that mean there's I think an, so. is there an Unferth running around? Like, yeah, probably. Cool. Maybe we find him in the next one. That'd be great. Alex, don't spoil it for us. Alex, don't you spoil that, Unferth. Is is Pedro Pascal Unferth? <laughs> I am I am keeping a complete or poker a, face or right is, now. Or is he a Wode? Is he... I'm just gonna, is this... I'm just going to open up The Winter King by Bernard Cornwell and I pick the first name I see. Is Pedro Pascal Tudric? Yeah. Is Whoa. this me... Like masking inner turmoil of like, do I reveal it? Do I don't? Or is this just me going? I don't remember. <laughs> well, well, I, well I mean, I, I they could call their hideout care. Swiss. Sure, man, they just kind of did whatever with letters back then, huh? Um, yeah. What do I know? <coughs> I will say, uh, talking of casting and character stuff in the actual movie, I like Colin Firth in this. I like Colin Firth mm-hmm. in general. Colin Firth is a very good choice to play this character because I don't know if there's any actor in modern movies who can wear a suit as well as Colin Firth. Yeah. Like, I genuinely have never... Like, he looks amazing in every suit. Mm -hmm. Guys at the Oscars nowadays, it's all, this has got a pauldron and this is Robin's Egg Blue. Colin Firth shows up in a basic tux and he looks amazing. Yeah. He's just built for it. So whenever he was like, here's the thing about a suit, I was like, this is going to be true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Everyone listen to Colin Firth. Ah, oh, man, he looks incredible. I, I, I feel like he does a really good job of emulating like Roger Moore Bond, sure. yeah. where it's like an older guy. You wouldn't necessarily think of him as like a physically yeah. active guy who could get into a fight, but he's got he's got the quips, he's got the charm. Um, but he can be serious and so yes. and more sober when he needs to be. I feel like he he kind of emulates that very very yes. well. Colin Firth is is an interesting actor to me because you don't think of him being built the way that he is. At least I, cause I know I, I initially know him as like the kind of nebbishy guy from rom-coms. So you sure. don't think about the fact that he's got this like massive broad chest and these broad shoulders that like he's, you could look at him and go, I could believe that this guy was an action star in the nineties, you know? Um, but like you said, I think it is more of the Roger Moore thing. He, he's more of an, action actor in in this movie which i like i think then he's able to sell their relationship really well as if they had cast someone who's really good at the fight scenes but can't really land the dramatic stuff um, yeah and as colin firth has shown in his sort of post-rom-com career with like king speech and tinker taylor soldier spy and everything like and uh, a, a single man he's a very very good actor I mean, if nothing else, the scene with him and, and Sam Jackson where yeah. uh, they, they unveiled the food and, he, and it's, it's a, a bunch of, of McDonald's and he just goes, I'll <coughs> have the Big Mac. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, like, thank you for such a happy meal. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Like, really, that, really that, is, that is Roger Moore dialogue to a T. Like, like, I hear him saying that line. Completely. And it's, yeah, it's good. Oh, man. That would have been fun. Uh, speaking of Sam Jackson, let's, let's talk about Rick Valentine. 
Richmond Valentine. Rich Valentine. Yeah, Richmond. Uh, yeah, that's a so, weird way to say Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know. So a social media mogul who probably yeah, has yeah, evil yeah. intentions <laughs> for the world, well, and, and they do even have like a, a a bit where he's like doing a promotion for his movie that or a movie that's based on oh, yeah. his life and yeah. all that. Um, so the idea is that he is a guy. I I, I had sort of a uh a a patrick and uh man ray from spongebob uh you know the meme i'm talking about Uh, i had sort of that vibe with this guy because he shows up and he's like hey i'm a billionaire uh i have created a fund for climate change um and i have devoted years of time effort and energy into lobbying trying to get people to change trying to you know figure out how i can fix the system so that climate change won't happen uh and he said and it's like all right that makes sense to me and then he's like uh i you know can't get past these politicians who don't listen they're just looking for the next paycheck to get reelected. uh they are you know not not in it to to help save this planet and i'm like yep makes sense Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, and then, you know, we kind of get to this point and this, this goes like halfway through the movie that this is kind of all we know. And he's, he's meeting with politicians. Okay. He's politicians, rich people, all, all these, all these kinds of people. He's putting chips in, in their heads, uh, which we established very early on through, uh, a sort of not quite cameo, but kind of cameo by Mark Hamill, uh, where, where he gets his head blown up because he's revealing too much about uh the the plan we establish these chips can blow up people's heads and so you know i think 60 percent of the way through the movie you're kind of like okay samuel jackson so what i'm understanding is you uh can't fix the system because all the people who are running it are terrible and corrupt and you hate them and you have implanted them with chips that can blow up their head so your 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 big plan then clearly is going to be to blow up to blow up their heads to, <laughs> like that's that's what you're going for you're going to kill all these all these rich corrupt politicians kingsmen are going to have to figure out a way to stop you that's your plan right and it's like this makes sense based on the logic he's presented but his plan no is instead to use cell phone ba- data to make everyone hate each other and kill each other except for the rich people he hates and then they're all going to repopulate the planet with the like top 1% that he has saved. And like, then, then, then I I think the big capper on this like frustration for me is that then Merlin kills them all. (laughs) Right. And there's no, there's no sort of uh, thematic like, oh snap, we just, killed a bunch of people like that was awful or like no one grapples that no one's like oh you know screw those guys they were terrible no no one has a conversation about this merlin just like kills them because he's killing all the guards that are going after exy uh and and it's like a fun scene their heads are all exploding and it's colorful and i'm pretty sure obama's head gets blown up which is a choice uh (laughs) and like all this happens 
and it's just kind of played for laughs and left aside. And then Samuel Jackson's like, those are my friends. You you killed all those innocent people. I'm like, you're killing literally millions, billions of innocent people. Yeah. What? Well, I think, I I don't want to read too much into the movie, but that all made perfect sense to me. I think Mm. that's supposed to be the ego of the super rich guy who thinks he can just control everybody and do whatever he wants. And he thinks he's saving the planet by basically sacrificing all these people that he doesn't know meanwhile he spent all this time kind of uh hobnobbing with all all the rich and powerful and of course he's going to be friends with them like that that all I, made sense to i me. i think that makes perfect sense if that's like the generic kind of villain that you're casting i think they go too far trying to make him sound sympathetic about like oh i i really want to fix this planet yeah. and specifically he says like he has a line that's like politicians just want to, you know, win their next election. They they don't care about the people. And like they, they take him so far in one direction in the first couple acts of the movie and then don't steer that around. But all the, the people that, that he, he has put the chip in, they're his friends. Like they have agreed to sign up. They are saying we buy into your, your ideology. We accept I, this. We want this. I think, to me it read it to me it did not read like that it read like he's like charming these people and and the reason i say all this like it you don't have to have that be his big master plan again like i think if they made him a little more generic it would work better <laughs> like i think if they okay. were just like a little bit more like he's just a big evil guy uh he hates everyone uh for killing the planet and he doesn't care but like the way they play him early on is like i need to find a way to fix the system and then his way to fix the system is I'm going to kill everyone. And I think it's a lot more interesting to me if that is his plan. And then you actually have to make the Kingsman be like, all right, I guess we got to save these people. And like, you know, does he have a point? Like that, that is the only way he has a point in the movie is if like his, his goal is like, I think if I kill all these rich people, then we'll fix it. Cause it's the most insane. Like I'm going to kill humanity to save humanity. I mean, it's like, you know the thanos kind of thing which is that's clearly supposed to be psychotic and like it's also a james bond villain thing which this is clearly supposed to be doing like it is a hugo drax i'm gonna kill all the the non-important people and then i will start my own civilization sure but i the way that jackson plays it and the way that the script like steers him in a certain direction to me i think that just that is what I was like where I felt the movie was going for a while. Cause I did not remember the, the details of the third act. And then when I realized what it was, I was like, Oh, that's so disappointing because he was such an interesting villain up to a certain point. And then he's like, Oh, I am just gonna, like totally insane. And like, if he has a, if he has an idea and thinks that this is going to work and thinks like, Oh, if I sacrifice, you know, 1% of humanity, it will save the rest of it. Then that's interesting. And then you have to make the Kingsman justify like saving them anyway and like then you get into a much to me much more interesting like compelling motivation for everyone kind of in that end fight but instead we get there and this is where i really feel it's missing something like that something thematic that's interesting and can kind of be like a a point of conversation or debate for the characters because all that really happens in the third act is that Eggsy goes in, he sneaks in, he does get to be a spy, and that's fun. That's a good, like, capstone on his on what he's been doing all movie. Uh, he gets Merlin into the system, and then he gets back to the plane, and then Merlin's like, nope, you gotta go back in because you have to stop 
Samuel Jackson for putting his hand on the the scanner. And then uh, Eggsy runs in and, and like is is weaving through guards and killing guards and getting doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And then he gets cornered in a hallway and he's like, oh, no, I have no options left. I'm screwed. And then he's like, wait, what if we kill all the people with the chips? We forgot about that because we needed it to come up again now. And he's not reminded of anything at that moment. Like, not, like he literally closes his eyes while the guards are closing in. And then he's like, hey, remember those chips we said were useless? Let's use them. And it's like, okay, I, I remember that being entertaining at the time because then you get the crazy sequence where all these people's heads are exploding and that's like, whoa, what what is happening here? This is this is wild. This is too much. Uh, like you, you get that kind of vibe. And I remember that like the first time I watched it being like, whoa, my gosh, what a choice. This is insane. But watching it Top again. Top five best moments of Kingsman and Secret <laughs> yeah, Service. Yeah. Uh, Number one. Pretty much like you watching it again it's like oh that comes out of nowhere they specifically pull the trigger on like one person of i I don't know how many people exactly he's supposed to have like protected here but like a huge population of humanity they have no questions or qualms or like concerns about this later on they don't talk about it they don't they don't say like oh that was kind of heavy we 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 did something pretty wild there maybe we should like you know decompress and think about it uh they just do it and then like the movie proceeds from there and he has the big fight with gazelle and then he kills samuel jackson and the movie ends and yes i do it does sound like a james bond plot when i describe it that way (laughs) but i think that that's how you like at a certain point if you just do the same thing you're just doing the same thing i feel like you have to put some sort of spin on and like it would almost be a choice if that was what happened and then uh like you had I'm almost thinking of like uh Dwayne Johnson is it Dwayne Johnson and Sam Jackson and the other guys uh yes. yeah where is. they're like causing horrible collateral damage and then talking to the media and being like we're just here to keep the city safe like <laughs> like I'm almost thinking you, you know you do something like that where it's like uh they, they are uh, you know like eh, screw them who cares you know like have a line about it have them have them joke about it if you're really trying to lampshade and like make that be the trope but like as it is i think they're they really want sam jackson's villain to be compelling but he's because he he makes that such an insane swerve at the end he's not and that was really that felt like deflating to me that they don't i don't think they really land one way or the other they don't make him like clearly you know crazier than any bond villain or like do do something in particular that's like this this shows why like it's worth us just following the same path for him being kind of an insane guy uh because we do something even crazier with the satire or parody or whatever at the end uh i i've i felt like there was a lot of especially in the third act there was a lot of stuff that kind of landed in a weird gray area because the movie is ostensibly kind of a parody in a satire and kind of poking fun at these tropes, but also it's not saying much about them. And so we end up in this like, okay, this is just a very predictable third act. And aside from a bunch of, a bunch of guys getting heads, getting blown off, which does not actually matter to the course of the movie. That's all we got. So yeah, it honestly, sometimes it's hard <laughs> to tell if there is, if Matthew Vaughn is intending on this to be an, a parody, because they right. do call attention to it. They, you know, 
when Harry goes to see uh, Valentine and they have that back and forth of like, oh, the old Bond movies, mm-hmm. give me a ridiculous plot any day. That's I, a great I think the dialogue. Yeah, also. I I think just I, I think the, the reason we're having some trouble with this is that I think the approach from Matthew Vaughn is a lot simpler than we're making it out Probably. to be. Um, based on what I know, his approach was, I just want to make a fun spy movie again. Sure. I'm, I'm sick of modern spy movies all being the guy goes rogue. It's super serious green grass style nonsense. Yeah. He just wants a fun spy movie and that's what he made. So I don't, I almost want to, I, I mean, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to say Tyler. I, I don't want to just quote the movie and say, it's not that kind of movie, sure. <laughs> but at the same time, it, no, I, I think, it's hard to tell. <laughs> I think you're right, and I think, but I think what frustrates me is that it it does veer almost into saying something. Yeah, and like sure. it ta- it's it's directly talking about climate change. Like he's like drilling into that, and like that's a big issue for him. And he's talking about the billionaires and the politicians, and like he's saying stuff that like serious spy movies don't get into. Like I'm thinking of Spectre. Like if Spectre had a villain who had more kind of like compelling, interesting motivation like that, or was like. If or they had were any motivation about, at all yeah if they were talking about like real world issues like he's tackling some of the motivation more seriously than like actual serious spy movies would normally do yeah but then not doing anything and that <clears throat> the one other point i wanted to loop into this is the the way they handle Exy's uh younger sister um they show her early on uh, crying in a crib and no one's paying attention to her except Exy who walks out and gives her, her her pacifier and then kind of keeps on walking. And it's like, that was a really sad moment because this is like, there are three three adults in this room and none of them are paying attention to the baby. Uh, and Exy's the only one who notices. And like, they show her again later on and she's crying in her stroller. Like she's only ever crying in the movie, which is just upsetting. <clears throat> and then in the final act when the big rage cell phone technology makes everyone start fighting each other uh roxy's kind of last bit of stuff she gets to do in the movie is to call Exy's mother and tell her to lock uh her daughter in the bathroom uh and then she starts beating down the door with a butcher knife uh while the daughter screams in the bathroom and it's like really upsetting yeah and like really concerning to me is like how did they film that like was was the kids scared like i don't like anything about that scene and it also implies that like there are a lot of parents who weren't warned that they were about to right. like want to murder their children and, and then like, it cuts back to oh Exy and Gazelle are having this crazy uh dance yeah, fight yeah Ooh, it's isn't spliced, this fun and crazy it's spliced in between that yeah. and then that's not like again there's no like people clearly die in this big like yeah thing that happens like in this thing that samuel jackson causes uh and probably a lot of people who couldn't defend themselves and it's like oh we're we're just we're making that like a dramatic point for these two characters but then we're not gonna say anything about that we're not gonna like i don't know have any anything related to it (coughs) so that's like I think there's a lot of really thoughtless, like, oh, I can kind of give this a, a real world veneer and uh, put up a facade of like, oh, here's some like 
issues I can draw on and, uh, you know, neat conversations I can have these characters have, but then it doesn't really think about like, well, what is, yeah, yeah, th- those are great questions. Can you try to answer them? <laughs> like what, what happens when these things happen? I don't know. It, it, that was really bothering me throughout the movie. And especially in the third act, I felt like it felt very disconnected. And again, if I'm taking this on James, on Bond movie logic, then we're that in a thousand compared to many of those sure. movies. Uh, Wait, but, Tyler, you're telling me Kingsman, the secret service is better than a view to a kill. Yes. Oh, oh that's, no. that's right, Alex. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think that that's like an, a, I don't like that as the like, justification if that would be matthew vaughn's justification for not dealing with any of that after kind of lobbing it into the air sure uh i i think that if you're gonna bring it up you should go farther and if you want it to just be a fun spy movie it's here like it's in that's that's achieved and you can strip out a lot of those things probably you know kill half an hour of the runtime and like have a really fun just romp of a spy movie that's just a blast so that was frustrating to me and that's my that's my rant there. I did really like overall enjoy the movie. I think it's really entertaining. Uh, and there is one bit of parody that we'll talk about in a second that I think actually worked for me way better after having gone through the James Bond franchise. <laughs> uh, but that, that was like really sticking out to me and I kind of found myself not uh, half as invested at the end, even though the fight between Exe and Gazelle is very good. And the last line where Exe says to, uh samuel jackson like this isn't that kind of movie after colin firth or he said that to colin firth uh when he shot him uh that's that's a good bit that's a good a good setup and payoff yeah i would hazard a guess that they filmed the child like not actually in a closed off bathroom but just like a set like an open set and then took the the shot and then did not have a child in a bathroom crying right and they looped in sound later from a you know, audio uh, garage. Yeah. But having said that, it is still an upsetting sequence that still goes too far, even if you know it was filmed in a safe, yeah. humane way. Um, yeah, I uh, I agree. Yeah, I think um, I've kind of noticed this with Matthew Vaughn's material. I feel like he he tends to not know where the line is, and particularly in terms of managing tone, I feel like he's he can he can be all over the place mm-hmm. and. I definitely feel like that that worsens with the next film, but we will, we will get there. <laughs> um, I, to be honest, I had a huge problem with the church sequence as mm-hmm. well um, in terms of tone. Um, and the movie tries to lay the groundwork of like, oh, this is a hate group. All these people yep. are probably, <laughs> they're probably terrible people. And like, it basically it's giving the audience some leeway to be like just enjoy this crazy action scene but i still feel super uncomfortable even watching this yeah on a rewatch of like no our one of our protagonists is like he has no agency and is killing a bunch of civilians i don't care if they're terrible people or not like all of them are dying horrible violent deaths and and, and they're playing freebird so it's like what do i <laughs> it, it feels it, it, it was giving me kind of Zack snyder vibes where it's like we're gonna pause for a minute and just have a music video scene that looks yeah. cool do not think about the implications yeah. of any of this yeah. and i 
Tyler, like you said about a good chunk of the third act, like you have to think about the implications. They're right there. You, Matthew Vaughn literally put the pieces on the mm-hmm. chessboard there. How can I ignore them? Well, no. and especially, I mean, that stuck out to me because earlier there is this, the conversation that Harry and, uh, Eggsy have that never really gets a resolution where Harry is like, Oh, so you think that the only reason you're, you know, getting into scuffs with the police is because you're, uh, poor, like you don't have money. And Eggsy's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what about, you know, these guys that are trying to beat you up? Cause they're friends with your stepfather. I don't even know if they're is is he a stepfather or just like I think he's a stepfather. Are they okay. even married? I thought it was just a boyfriend. I don't, either way, uh, whatever. Scum, scumbag dude living in his apartment. Um, sure. And they they say like, or Exy says, oh, you know, they're they're different. They're they've always been jerks because, uh, yeah. Harry's like, well, if if they were given you know a, a wealthier lifestyle, how would they be? Uh. And there's not really, I mean, I guess maybe the, maybe Charlie, a character we haven't talked about yet, is supposed to be a response to that, that like, they, there are people who are still jerks anyway. Um, sure. Regardless of upbringing. But uh, that, that to me stuck out thinking, like, then looking at the church scene, because it's like, if that's a question the movie has raised of like, th- which this movie really does not have any business trying to raise if it's not going to, you know, give it more than 30 seconds of thought. Um, if it's a question, if they're raising the question of like, oh, you know, does your upbringing affect who you are and how how you end up being, like, <laughs> then the implication there is like, oh, there's this hate group, sure, but they're all, you know, a lot of them are. I mean, it's a hate group in Kentucky, and they they don't look like particularly well to do. Uh, there's just a bunch of normal people who've clearly been involved in this horrible group, and you know, maybe some of them were raised into it, maybe like. Maybe there's a couple of them sitting in the back row that secretly want to leave. Yeah, like, that's that's the kind of thing that it, when you question stuff like that early in the movie, then you're like, well, am I supposed to think that this is bad because there are people who... Like, I, I, I like the impulse. I like the impulse to say, if we're going to have a scene where he murders a bunch of people, make it, like, this really detestable group. But it just does not... Like, you can't do that and not try to like explain yourself a bit <laughs> like it because Harry, there are Harry shooting a woman point blank in the head is yeah. never yes. not going to bother me no matter yeah who what the context yeah. is yeah like, it's just, like they yeah. they try to have her like she's screaming at him like clearly she is very bought in to yeah this this view uh and it still is like uh, yeah it's it's weird no, um the problem that i had with it well two one is it perpetuates this idea of violence solves violence, hate solves hate, like, oh, these people are terrible. Well, if we kill them, then that's enough. That, like, the only way to solve this very complicated issue is to make me feel vindicated and watch them get hit. That, like, that is somehow gonna make, oh, that's somehow gonna restore order to to all the chaos that these people are causing. But the other thing, it's, it's, it's the same problem I had with... Django Unchained and uh, Inglorious mm. Bastards, <clears throat> where it feels like I want to make this crazy action sequence. I want to make this, you know, intense revenge thriller, and it's going to be really violent. Well, I, I don't want to just have that violence perpetrated against innocent people, against you know, 
against, I don't want children to, I don't want us to watch children get killed. I don't want that stuff. So instead, we'll just make it Nazis. We'll make it uh, uh, slave owners we'll, or slave masters. We'll make it, you know, this hate group because that'll somehow make it, we'll feel less guilty watching them get killed. But you're still, like you said, Alex, regardless of what they did or said, like you're still watching the hero of the movie do this like unspeakable violence to these people. And, and, and admittedly Colin Firth, when he comes out of his, his fugue yeah. afterwards, it's like, I didn't want to do any of that. They didn't know, like none of us, yeah. it's not like I was literally in danger and defending myself, but that still feels like a hand wave. Um, and it's, I think it's maybe it's just because of the times we're living in that like a hate group being dispatched violently does not like, I, that is something you have to deal with with a lot more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't ask Kingsman to be a, a treatise on like social harmony and anti-racism, but I kind of wish he had found a different way to stage that crazy sequence. And it's only, we watch the John Wick movies and those are crazy, but that also takes place in a wild assassin world. So you're kind of like, mm-hmm. ah, no movie I'm watching and it's self-defense, but to a degree. But I, this <laughs> it felt started like, that way, right? <laughs> this feels like we were saying, Tyler, of this like we're we're trying to attach some real world thing to it, but we're choosing this very complicated thing and saying, wouldn't it be a wouldn't it be cool if they were violently killed? And it's like just because I would rather see Nazis or people trying to have slaves or this hate group, just because I'd rather see them get punched or shot doesn't mean it's okay to make that, that doesn't justify the the ex, the extremity to which uh the movies go so that that was as as just as an action sequence i was like you know the the stunt work is impressive and it's kind of neat that they you know put all this together oh it looks great yeah but, <clears> but it's a very I mean, energetic scene with right, i would argue it's the best soundtrack. shot sequence of the entire film sure yeah i think most people would agree it's just but like this is when you step back from it, you're like but wait a minute i don't i don't feel good watching this i don't and it's not something that's thin enough for me to be like i'm just gonna have fun with it it's right like, no this is a little more there's yeah. a you have introduced a little more than i think you should have for what you're going for in the, in the scene yeah, I think the difference for me versus something like a Tarantino movie, like the two examples you brought up, I think those movies at least do have some groundwork to establish the cruelty of both the sure. Nazis and yeah. the slave owners. Like they show them like violently, right. you know, obviously they're they're killing Jews and inglorious bastards and they're they're being um so it's like the very, thing they have of characters fight and stuff. Yeah. Um and obviously Django and Jane, yeah, that they just are, are abusing slaves. So like when when our heroes uh, are able to get vengeance on them that at least has some sort of backing behind it. Whereas this is like, okay, so there are people in a church saying a bunch of terrible things. Like I, I can yeah. go, to, I can, anyone can go on the internet and find that within 30 seconds. Like I, yeah, yeah. I don't, there is a difference. And, and there's, and I, I think again, like specifically the, the like Tarantino movies, usually when they are like, when someone's getting horribly murdered, uh, it's because they built that person up as being very, very awful. <clears throat> and so it's like, you have a specific face, uh, that yeah. you're kind of directing like your, uh, catharsis, your audience catharsis against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas this is again, like they, the movie raises the question of like, Hey, what, you know, how much does your, uh, how you're born affect your upbringing and like all this stuff. Like it's, it's looking at that, 
a little bit early on and then being like, ah, oh, here's a bunch of people who live in a, in a rural community uh, that's probably very insular and they don't, you know, have a chance to escape or have a, a way to like, you know, be exposed to like why their views are so horrible. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just something. It also uh, bothered me because again, <clears throat> I had not up to this point remembered how the third act actually goes. And I was trying to remember and this, to me, at least would make sense if, like, the fact that they go to the lengths to have this specifically happen to a hate group, uh, uh, Samuel Jackson specifically, I mean, again, does not really track with the fact that he does not care what happens to everyone else. Like, yeah. the fact that he's like, oh, I can make my, my target this one thing, but if he's going to do it to everyone, then why does it matter? Right. <clears throat> Unless it was a these people I see as expendable. So then like the specific people I'm going to kill later on, I'm going to also see as expendable, but the, it does not like, I I don't understand his Samuel Jackson's mindset in this movie. And I don't understand the director's mindset in taking on some of these ideas and then being like, yeah, it's fine. We'll just leave it there. Yeah. And I don't you get the rest. And I don't know in a way, like, I, I like that the movie doesn't make, a big deal again we're talking about the sensationalizing it doesn't sensationalize the fact that like we have a prominent black character like there's a character here enjoy the movie but i also for him specifically to target this hate group it, it is kind of understood why a black man would have a problem with this group considering some of the, the words that they're yelling sure. but you also like you said alex at least with in the tarantino movies you know like well when when they're attacking dicaprio we saw what dicaprio did earlier in the movie yeah. So like we understand why that why this action is being perpetrated against this character. And with this it's like I understand broadly like why this mindset would be a personal um personally upsetting to Sam Jackson's character but like I don't know was was a member of his family maybe sort of suffering at the hands of these people. I, I don't know. And not that I want a scene <laughs> detailing sure. that. Sure. Again, that. I think the solution for a movie like this that is not going to take any of it seriously is to not do it. I yeah, think the solution yeah. is like if the, if Sam Jackson's plot is I'm going to make everyone kill each other, have him do it at a random doesn't have to be a church has you know it could a be mall. like a yeah like have, have it be at a mall then it's really horrible and upsetting but it's not like it's supposed to be that way and you, and you you're pretty clear on where the movie lands yeah. it feels more generic theoretically. in that or like or, the choice or, feels more generic or have it like like I'm almost thinking if you know you have it happen at like in some way where like everyone else is also like armed and violent. Like maybe it's a, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't really well, want to go down the road of part giving of the them set up for that. Like, I, I can't quite remember how Harry and Merlin come across <clears throat> the, the church, but that I was think... actually the other major question I had, which we can get into in a second, just logistically, but doesn't Sam Jackson, <clears throat> like he somehow creates like, there's a setup where it's a connection between him and the church that draws Harry in. And that's why Harry goes there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it's just more of an excuse to like, I need a location to try and kill this Kingsman. And that and it'll also double as my test for this equipment. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of flimsy, but whatever. I'm almost wondering if there will be a setup where it's like, he's got like secret deals to build this technology and he's using like criminal, 
empires from across the world or whatever and there's like this big meeting and harry shows up and then he kills sure kind of kind of like um the goldfinger bit where he draws all the criminal leaders in and tells them the plan and then gasses them all yeah that's i mean that's more what feels right to me as if it's like oh you got all these these guys with all their grunts uh and like they're uh, that's where the big because i'm thinking like clearly the goal here was to have a giant fight where colin firth is going insane and they're playing a cool song in the background and like it looks great yeah and like if that's what you want i think you just have to do something like that like it can't you can't have your cake and eat it too with something where people who are not trained super spies are getting murdered by a trained super spy and you're playing cool music over it like you can't there's no way you can really square that uh, and, and make that fit uh yeah i i think that that's kind of something that you would have to do instead or i don't know something that's not this i it, it doesn't help <laughs> the yeah. the movie it doesn't help where the movie lands on so many other things yeah i agree i was also yeah i was also confused i don't totally understand the how sam jackson knows that harry is going to show up at the church unless it's because Arthur's already betrayed everyone uh because Harry sees a pamphlet for it when he walks into uh Valentine's yeah. house yeah and so that's like saved on his the the video he's uploading but Valentine doesn't necessarily know he's got the glasses that can record everything but I guess that's already supposed to be a setup uh, and then there's something else that's also very tenuous later on that, again, is like, how would he be sure that they would go after this lead unless it was more obvious? So I, that that was weird to me as well. It ain't that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that part to me is more like, OK, fine, whatever. Like, <laughs> he's. I will say but... Sam Jackson walking out of the dressing room and then uh, Colin Firth being like, you need a top hat to go with mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is delightful. I just can I just get the two of them just to just talk for a whole movie? <laughs> yeah, like that'd be awesome. I will say, I, I weirdly enough, Samuel Jackson putting on a lisp didn't work for me in this movie. I, I yeah. felt it was a little too much. It was kind of like a hat on a hat, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. I I think he was already doing this really fun kind of broad performance, and he is good in the movie. I always enjoy Sam Jackson, but I I kind of I don't know. At times, it felt just a little too broad for me. I don't know. But otherwise, I like seeing him. Um, I, I thought it was at least kind of interesting because I think it is supposed to be a play on Bond villain tropes. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. instead of like, oh, he has a scar or he has some kind of physical deformity, he has a lisp. Right. Um, and I, I think he was drawing upon um, his experience because he had a stutter when he was a child. Oh, interesting. So I think that he might be pulling that from someplace. Okay. And like Sophia Batella, I know Alex, you've said it every time she comes up, nothing's better than the Tom Cruise mummy. We know. <laughs> I mean, it's stamped on my forehead. Yeah, AF, like, AFI's top 100 movies, heroes, villains, uh, WTF moments, you know, whatever AFI does. <laughs> we all know how you feel. Um, but uh, but I liked her in this. I thought, like, the the her having very sharp uh, prosthetic legs, it... It's very visceral. Like, I really felt the mm-hmm. sting whenever, and like, the sound effect is really good when she cuts somebody. I was like, 
That is the yeah. deepest paper cut of all, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Meaning mm-hmm. they did a good job. Yeah. I like how they, they just come up with really, really fun ways for her to use it. Yeah. Um, like, even at the beginning where, um, you know, she's killed uh, Commodore Norrington, um, and she's asking Mark Hamill to hold all the towels while she lays them over the bodies because uh, Valentine has a quirk where he's like, I can't stand the sight of blood yeah. or dead bodies or anything, and then that's a fun setup because he pukes at the end. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but Mark Hamill, like, he's restrained to the chair, and he just, like, puts his hands up, like, what do you want me to do? And she immediately slashes them. Yeah. That was neat. <laughs> I also like that um, she doesn't even hide them. She just walks around on her yeah. on her blade legs. Like, that's cool. Yeah. It's like, whatever, you know, I'm a lead of Battle Angel or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it does kind of feel like it's one of those cases where it's like, I feel like that's a character that could have been used in sequels. I don't know if she yep. had to die in this one. Yeah. That Spoilers, is... she's she's not in the next one. Sure. <laughs> that she, got, is... she got killed with a poison dagger in this, so I, I'm yes. pretty sure you guys could uh, tell that, but... <laughs> there's a... So, yeah, that's set up earlier because uh, they, if you click your heels, heels together in the Kingsman Oxfords, then the dagger comes out and it's got the dangerous poison um and Which is that a is a bond reference sure and that is a great uh scene uh, it's it's ridiculous and over the top but in the best way uh where she jumps up and tries to uh like slice his neck and he like is able to swerve out of the way click his heels in midair and then like nick her just barely on the arm as they almost pass by yeah um it's it looks it looks great it's it's fun and, and crazy it's it speaking of tarantino like it's very kill bill-esque to me. and uh they land and then uh Eggsy shows that she 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 nicked his tie off uh and then she stumbles and, and falls over um and then he uses her leg to stab samuel jackson by throwing it like a javelin and it's good mm-hmm. that's a that's a fun just from an action flow perspective that sequence is great I I completely agree. Um, do we want to get into the other? Might be the most divisive moment of this film, and I I remember like people complaining about this and discussing it when it came uh-huh. out. Um, so there's a setup <laughs> right before like the final sort bit of. of action where Exy comes across the. Is she Scandinavian? What country is she from? Yes, yeah, Swedish. I think. Is she Swedish? Okay. Some country in Europe. <laughs> um, it's a princess. They're um, all the same. Yeah, <laughs> they're all the same. Just take a train. Um, they're across the pond. Um, yes. So uh, she's a princess, and uh, they're talking with each other. And uh, Valentine's like, "You killed all my friends. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end you, or whatever." And Exy's like, "Well, I'm gonna go off and save the world. Um, uh, if I, if I do, will you give me a kiss?" And she's, she's like, "I'll do more than that." And then that. She, she directly says that they're going to have sex in a more graphic way than that. Um, and then it's directly paid off after he kills Valentine. Like he immediately grabs a bottle of champagne and rushes to go have sex with her. Yeah. And it's in a, <laughs> is in a particular fashion that they're going to do that. Yes. And the camera, the last shot of the movie before the mid credits, like actual ending is just of her, butt. <laughs> there yeah. it is. Yes. Uh, I have, so this, when I first saw this, I remember this being like, what? Why? Why did? Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> uh, this does actually work a little better for me after seeing the 
millions of terrible Bond movies. Uh, because Tyler's quote on the poster, this does work a little better for me. <laughs> uh, uh, so many of those end with Bond on the radio with uh, oh the parrot some, and the queen yeah yeah somebody and then Bond what are you doing keeping the British end up sir yes uh, making some sort of sexual in- innuendo and then being like the the people on the other end being like oh my uh, and then hanging up because he's <laughs> yeah um with with some woman uh. So to that extent going, to, this is like what I was saying earlier, a lot of the stuff that doesn't work for me. I, I realized upon watching it, that this does actually, to me, work in the sense of turning it to absurdist and then like having Merlin see on the screen uh, from Exy's point of view uh, what what is going on and being like, oh, I don't <laughs> like that. I'm close to, okay. Um, I I think... It almost works for me. I think it probably doesn't need to go quite that far. You could, it, it would work just as well if you only had Merlin's reaction. Uh, yeah. Which, what is Merlin's actor's name? Mark Strong. Mark, Mark Strong. Strong. There we go. Yeah. Um, Who might be my favorite performance in the movie. I yeah, think he's, he's great. Wonderful. Um, and I think he, he sells that moment incredibly at the end. Like, you could just have that be the moment, and it could just be a reference to the other Bond movies and work probably just as well and not be as upsetting <laughs> if, if that was, like, what happened there. Um I question ending the movie there and then having the mid credit scene. That's like the actual payoff of the movie. I think that should just probably cut to the bar. Sure. And then we go from there. Um, it'd be fun if we cut to the bar and he was like with the Swedish princess and they're like, Oi, who's this? <laughs> I can't do a British, a British accent like that, but um, yeah. And they're yeah, like, I, who are you? You bum. And he's like, bum. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't they got to call him a tramp though over and over there sure um across the pond uh so yeah I, it did actually like that was the one thing i gleaned from <laughs> from having been through the the rigors of the bond franchise was realizing like oh right that is 100 percent supposed to be like a over-the-top silly like send-up of that um again i don't i don't know that you actually need it to be that crazy for it to work and clearly it did not work for a lot of people so tyler would would you like how, how would you feel if they they said oh hey you know this one element that people complained about with this one let's um take that and make that an entire like key plot sequence in the sequel how um, how would how would that make you feel i'm sir? i'm sure i'm gonna love it i'm sure it's gonna be great <laughs> like fantastic voyage i i felt that it it didn't really work for me. It, I totally understood what they were doing, and I think that's fine. For me, it was because the movie had made so many other choices away <laughs> from how the Bond movies handle his relationships with women that they had made so many other, like, no, Good Roxy's choices. her own character, and the seduction stuff isn't a thing. But then to suddenly come back to it at the end felt like they got the idea and they just did it and didn't really think about what they had been. It didn't really jive with the rest of the movie for me, but also, whatever. It it, it's a, it is less bothersome than scenes in the old Bond movies. It's a little weird to have that scene, and then we do get the ending sequence right. where he goes back to the bar, but then it cuts to um, Matthew Vaughn's like in 
in memory of my mom yeah. or this is dedicated yeah. to my mom who tr- taught me the true value of being a kingsman or whatever i'm like just two scenes ago we were telling a, <laughs> this disgusting joke like, can you imagine if it had been that like the shot of this actress's rear end and then it said in memory of my mother yeah my mother always told me there was a prophecy yeah it could be a lot it's it's very it's bizarre and tone i would say is not matthew vaughn's strong suit i think he he has a big problem with he loves doing the cartoony over the top stuff and he tries to balance it with more grounded um serious dramatic moments sure. and it just doesn't always connect i i think he and uh, we got to get him to do a team up with our boy zach snyder um, yeah you know let let matthew be silly let zach be serious like just bring them together zach few snine that's that should be Zack Snyder's project. He should be like, you know what? I'm gonna complete the trilogy. I'm doing Kick Ass Three. <laughs> Honestly, that's that probably exactly what he wants to do. Would be, I mean, it would not be good, but that would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's his next project is doing the fusion dance with Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, that too. Um, I I want that now. That would make me happy. Uh, Alien, I versus Predator, although, Alien versus Predator versus Kick-Ass. I was going to say, it can't just be three. It has to be like... Uh, I, I think there's like a Hit-Girl comic. Maybe I was going to say, he'll do the Hit-Girl spinoff because Zack Snyder is a well-known feminist. I saw Sucker right, Punch. Right. It can be uh, the the actual Sucker Punch sequel as well. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Call it... Emily Browning can play grown-up uh, hit girl if Chloe uh, Grace Moretz doesn't want to come back. Yeah. Which would be fair. Uh, they could call it uh, Hit Girl v. Sucker Punch. <laughs> Dawn of Girls Get It Done. Sucker Hit. Sucker Hit. <laughs> Punch Girl. Punch Girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did want to circle back and highlight a couple of performances real quick. Um, just to reiterate, Mark Strong is very, very good in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's um, nice when he gets things to do. <laughs> yep. Yes, because I feel like so often um, he gets stuck in roles where it's oh, just man, I'm yeah. exposition man. Like, um, you know, Britain, you and I both love John Carter, but him. That's all he does. That, yeah. It's kind of a thankless role in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Shazam, less, you know. Yeah. yeah. And the less said about Green Lantern, the better. Um, but even the moment where he, him and Eggsy are on the plane and he's like, no, you have to go back out there and kill more people and take out Valentine. We can't just leave. <laughs> um, and he's he's like, all right, let's 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 uh, get you some guns. And Eggsy immediately goes to grab his guns. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is mine. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's got great comedic timing. Um, yeah. And then Mark Hamill, who is only in this for like two or three scenes, Aww. is really, really good. He's just such um, a good daffy old man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very much agree. And it's, uh, so much of it is just like his facial reactions, yeah. which is very weird at this point in time, given that he has built up such a wonderful career in yeah. voice acting. So coming back and, and you know, obviously Last Jedi, his performance in that is really good. But just like he's got really good comedic timing yeah. just with his face. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really, really impressive. Yeah. Oh, late, late, later stage Mark Hamill is dynamite. <laughs> he's so yeah. much fun. Yeah. Um. Last point I wanted to make, um, Henry Jackman did the score, and he is actually one of my kind of like underdog composers. Mm-hmm. I really like him whenever he pops up. Um, I, I mean, he mostly I, pops up with Matthew Vaughn, doesn't he? Yes. Um, 
I really love his theme for this. Like that is one of those things that kind of, um, you know, whenever it plays in the movie that, that, that gets the adrenaline pumping. I like it. It's classy, but it's cool. <laughs> kind of like a Kingsman agent. Kind of yeah. like, a, it's almost like it fits the movie. <laughs> so we write in this thing. We can. We don't have to. We didn't to. talk about Charlie. Oh, yeah. Edward Holcroft from Alias Grace is in it, and he's rich and mean and actually a he, bad guy. Yeah, he pulls a Malfoy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's fun, where he's like, my father will, will, will hear about this after they trick him into uh, revealing all the Kingsman secrets, and that's a fun bit because he's a jerk the rest of the movie. Yeah. And that's what I have to say about Charlie. <laughs> it is very satisfying that Roxy, when they are training, manages to keep Eggsy from attacking him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then at the very end, Eggsy finally gets his opportunity to just punch the crap out of him. That is very satisfying. Yeah, yeah I kind of wish Roxy had gotten a little more to do, but I still, I liked her. Um, sure. I, you know, I, I feel like I've talked about the treatment of this character as though it's like this amazing thing. And it's more that it's not as bad as I thought it would have been. It's more they didn't are, do it bad than they did it. Are, are you guys are you guys excited to see the wonderful um places where they take Roxy in the sequel? Wink guess. wink nudge nudge the movie is bad. Alex Let's grade this thing. <laughs> Alex, you're holding up a picture of Taryn Edgerton and just gesturing at it. <laughs> I don't understand. I I will say also that maybe is my last thought on this. Uh the the fact that they have him get to beat up Charlie and also get to beat up his uh, deadbeat question mark man in a relationship with his mother. Um, those are both kind of like, I don't, I guess the movies, I mean, the movie is definitely saying that it's fine with that, but it, it again is kind of like, was he right to not be beating, be like going off and trying to hit them earlier? Like what? The movie does a lot of trying to have its cake and eat its stew to go back yeah. to what we were saying earlier. So that's that's one last thought there. I think despite all that, I am going to go B minus. I was kind of leaning between that and the C plus, but I, I do think the movie is just so entertaining that I can't quite push it down there, even though I think it is uh, very misguided in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, that's that is that is where I'll stick. Uh, flat C. It just comes back to I think this is just not a movie for me. Um, I don't like there. I don't like dislike it. This movie didn't make me angry. It didn't offend me. It didn't like truly bother me. I was just like, all right, you're a movie. There you go. Uh, Tyler, I will stoop to that level. I'm going to give it a B minus. <laughs> no, I I just said B minus. Oh, okay. No, I thought you said that was where you were afraid to go to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I was afraid to go to C+. I, I am misinterpreting your words. Yeah. This, is, this is perfect for a film analysis podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go B- as well. I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, chinks in the armor, but it's uh, tons of fun. And it could have been good um, with a sequel. Could have been. But they stopped here. They didn't make any more. Why are we doing this on this? I can't wait till next week when Tyler and I are both like, you know what? Flat B. (laughs) Flat B for Golden Circle. Look, a part of this is is like I want to prep you guys and be like, there there's some warning signs here. But on the other hand, if you guys do end up loving the movie, I will feel better about it. (laughs) Okay. Cool. 
Because I'll be like, okay, it is just me. I can <laughs> I can accept that. Sure. I can accept that. No, we're gonna we're gonna both be like, ah, that wasn't as bad as we thought it was gonna be, and then we're we're both just gonna be like extremely furious about the third one. <laughs> yeah, for like, some reason that you suggested this podcast. I've already been stealing <laughs> myself. I'm assuming Valerie Pockner has one scene and no lines, and that's like the main reason I want to watch that movie. It's because I like Valerie Pockner so much. But you know, we all gotta prepare ourselves. Um, yeah. But you know what helps with for to be prepped for things is a recommendation, and I have one of those. Um, speaking of things that aren't quite where I think they should be, but are still a lot of fun, I'm gonna do a classic. Go to the classic well. I'm gonna recommend a MGM Gene Kelly musical from 1955. Uh, this is a movie called "It's Always Fair Weather." It's it's an odd movie. It's from Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, who made "On the Town" and "Singing in the Rain" and you know, classic duo. Uh, and it stars Gene Kelly and Sid Cherise and the legendary choreographer Michael Kidd, who doesn't get to dance enough in it. Uh, Dan Daly, who's very good. And it's a weird movie where they try to hang this, like, screwball, these screwball storylines on a very sincere premise, which is these three army buddies reunite 10 years after the war and find they don't have a lot in common anymore. And it's about, like, well, how do our friendships, what our friendships mean now? And have we changed as people? Or which is the less honest version of ourselves and how do we relate to each other. But then they try to hang all these like plot lines about a TV special and like a diva and like the mafia and a fixed boxing match. Like it's, it's a weird kind of mishmash of things. Um, But of course the reason you watch it are the dance numbers, which are marvelous. Um, Michael Kidd's incredible. Gene Kelly is Gene Kelly. There's like three or four numbers that I love. The opening dance is terrific. And uh, involves them all with a, a trash can lid st- strapped to their feet, just like going for it. And it's fantastic. All right. There's two numbers in a boxing gym that are really fun. But the, the real, real thing about this movie to recommend is a song called I Like Myself, where Gene Kelly tap dances in roller skates. Um, as in, yes, real roller skates. As in, not a lot of crazy cuts, not a lot of stunt. It, it's him. It's just Gene Kelly put some roller skates on and went, all right, I'm going to start dancing. And it's astonishing. It is so brilliant and fun, and it's it's a great technical achievement, but it's so, so buoyant and vivate. It's such a fun thing to watch. It's just joy. And this is a movie that even if, you know, you don't want to watch the whole thing, it's not that long, but, you know, it, just watch, just look up, like, It's Always Fairweather songs, or look up I Like Myself specifically to see Gene Kelly tap dance on roller skates. It's amazing. Um but yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I've got another Gene Kelly movie sitting right next to me here, so I think we we might be establishing a tra a, a trend over the next couple of weeks. We'll see. There but uh, I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a mood right now. Got to watch Got to watch one of the great. You got that uh, Kelly fever. <laughs> I I not, I Kelly really fever. do. Uh, I just I just love watching him. Um, and uh, Britain will be starting a new new spinoff podcast called Kelly Fever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where I talk about. Gene Kelly, Grace Kelly, uh, yeah. Ned Kelly, the movie with Heath Ledger, um, and uh, Kelly Green, the hue, this the shade of green in all the places you can see it in the world. Yeah. Um, but if you want to see Gene Kelly, you can see him in It's Always Fair Weather. Not 100% sure why the movie's called that, um, but it is on HBO Max that and probably some other places. I think is the general vibe of movies before, like, 1970 <laughs> to me. It's a very good title for a Gene Kelly movie. I don't know why it's the title of this Gene <laughs> this Kelly one. movie. It's just like, yeah, 
Yeah, just like, you know, a phrase. And it's a weird uh, movie. Or, or yeah. I, I think something that sounds <coughs> nice on a poster. I think it was something, I think they wanted it to be a sequel to On the Town, which makes sense, and then it, they couldn't make that happen. And then I think it was, it's kind of credited as one of the movies that started to signal the the descent, like the downturn of musicals' popularity um, going into the late 50s and early 60s. Sure. Because it kind of underperformed at the box office, which is, now I think people talk about Gene Kelly, they mostly talk about uh, Singing in the Rain, understandably. But like, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Like anyone who has seen the uh, the uh, roller skate number, I'm like, how are we not talking about that all the time? Like, it's, it's such a feat of athleticism. On the town. Part two. It's always fair weather, you know. <laughs> Town versus weather. Town versus weather. <laughs> Everyone just pulls out guns and starts shooting yeah, in the exactly. sky. Out <laughs> of fire tornado. You know, I've never seen happier soldiers than in G- old MGM musicals where they're just like sure. marching it, da, 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 and they're just like having a great time on the front and the most the the it's like the most damage they get is that the strap of their pith helmet is undone. Sure. Um so the idea of them suddenly having to like, no, we're doing this <laughs> on the town. Requiem. Satan is descending. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, I tell you, we, we sure gave Jerry what for. Oh, I can't wait to get back to my girl. Uh, put him up. But first, we have to descend into the pits of hell itself. <laughs> Come on, Dante's Inferno's no match for us, boys. Hey, wait for me. And they're still like, they're they're pausing, at, you know, the, the, the third Malbogia. Uh, <laughs> where all these sinners are doing whatever and having their eyes pulled through their nose. Uh, right. And, and Gene Kelly still does a stop to do a tap dance. <laughs> exactly. Lake of tar. <laughs> <laughs> he could do it too. There's a, there's a whole like things like seven levels of hell. Hey boy, it sounds kind of like when we had shore leave in Idaho. How, wait, why would it be Idaho? <laughs> Can you tell that I'm getting a little, though. getting a little light? I sure leave. Oh, the girls. Anyway, <laughs> man, <laughs> I like this. We should make this movie. I think so. We should make so, TV and old movies. The only the only problem is no one can tap dance anymore. So that's true. That the skill died. I mean, Skimble Shanks could tap dance. <laughs> yeah, Skimble Shank. Okay, it's a dev. It's the cats. Dev- cats too. It's Devil went down to Georgia, where Gene Kelly has to do a tap dance with the devil, who is Skimble Shanks. <laughs> It's that scene from uh, Anchors Away where he dances with Jerry the Mouse, except this time it's Skimble Shanks from Cats. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't know how y'all are going to top that recommendation. Cats gets an entire circle of hell all by Correct. itself. <laughs> all the cats are there. They're not being tortured. They're I mean, all dogs like, go to heaven. They're all just cats. doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> well, Tyler, would you like to talk about, uh, maybe thematically this was... This, bleeds into a thing i know you watched recently Tur- turns out they were in hell the whole time the jellicle ball is who can yeah they have a side layer it's just the mantle of the earth yes uh i buy it which i would like to just reaffirm jellicle ball is just a ball just a ball just a ball <laughs> um unless it's the helical ball <laughs> oh which is a ball, but it has a giant H stamped yes. on it. At the very end, Gene Kelly and... has to face off against his evil form, Gene Helly. <laughs> <laughs> they have a, they have an epic tap dancing battle. Yeah. Um, I, 
not speaking of epic tap dancing battles uh i did watch uh the first episode and some change of the sandman uh the new netflix show uh that is an adaptation of probably maybe the best comic of all time i think whoa you'd, you'd get some conversation about it for sure but yeah. like th- that's not like a, a hot take i would say to my understanding um i i mean i personally i i think that would be my vote uh and the reason that would be my vote is that the comic is like such a uh it, it is it is the ultimate comic comic like it is that the original runs like 75 issues or something like that uh and it veers between like you know three issues here a random one-off about this other story here okay now we're gonna do like a five issue story now there's like this big long saga of like 11 issues it like it it takes full advantage of the fact that like it's a really flexible form the actual writing and art and everything is extremely uh comic book specific where it's like you could not replicate a feeling like that anywhere else um I think that the show from what I've seen so far, and I've just seen the beginning part, but it's already enough for me to be like, I think this is uh, worth, worth giving a shot. And I'd be curious to see how people who have no familiarity with the comic feel. Um, The, the show I think has immediately taken this and been like, we can't do that. We're not going to replicate that feeling in a television show. That is a comic and you cannot do the same thing. It has to be adapted very, very differently for television. Um, and I think it does result in some kind of clumsy exposition and, and trying to like give the audience what they need to know beforehand. Uh, comics, I think you can suggest a lot more easily. You can kind of have a panel uh, that says a lot more through like a couple of words and, and one image. Whereas in television, you have to like make people understand the characters and the stakes and like be able to display this visually and have it be interesting. Um, I think, though, that it it does, to me, really capture the feel. Uh, And I think they've done a good job figuring out where to kind of put those markers of like, okay, we're going to draw this character who shows up way later. We're going to pull them in a little earlier and kind of have them sit here and be like a recurring person so that you'll know who they are and what their deal is. Uh, And we're going to like move some stuff around. We're going to lay references to make it clear, like what's going to happen later on. Um. And so yeah, I'm I'm already very excited to finish the rest. I think it's all already up ten episodes of the first season. I don't know how far they go in the first season compared to the book and total issues covered or whatever, or if they skip over some stuff. I'm sure they do. Um, but the cast is fantastic. You got Charles Dance, uh, in in there to kind of usher you into this story, uh, as as kind of the one of the focus characters in the first episode, um. I didn't. I, I meant to double check the the name of the actor playing Dream, uh, but I really like him. I think he's he's got the right vibe. Tom Sturridge, uh, maybe. Yes, okay. yes, it is Tom Sturridge. Um, uh, not a lot of other people who really show up that are like super well known in the in the the first episode that I watched, but it is uh all really well performed. I think. Like I said, sometimes it gets a little bit stilted, maybe with the the dialogue and trying to make stuff come across, but. I am not too upset or concerned about that. I understand the challenge. Uh, and I think in a lot of other ways, they, they do really smart stuff to evoke the right feeling. So um, I'm excited. I hope that it is really successful and that they're able to turn this into a big saga and, and do the whole the whole shebang. 
because uh, I'd love to see them be able to capture all that. And there's a lot of really cool stuff in there that I'd like to see them get to and try and take a whack at. But we'll see. So, so far, so good. That's my tentative recommendation. Maybe I will revoke it. Maybe I'll <laughs> say 100% approved. Who Who's to say yeah. in future episodes? Or they'll cancel it after three seasons. They probably will cancel it. Somehow they'll cancel it midway through the second season, even though they drop all the episodes at once. (laughs) Actually, we're going to take these five episodes at the end of the season off. Oh, we realized there were tax write-off incentives, so we just axed the last five episodes. Um, Topical. It's like when you're at a a buffet and you put one more cookie, you put a cookie back because you're like, no, I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Batgirl. Uh, my recommendation <laughs> is uh, another Netflix show, uh, Bodyguard. Uh, hey, there it is. All right. Uh, I, I shouldn't have watched it because this now furthers my my drive for Richard <laughs> Madden to be James Bond. Like he, right. he has, he is the guy. Um, so, in case uh, you aren't familiar with the premise, it's about a, a former vet who is also a police officer in London. Who has been assigned as the uh, personal um, bodyguard for the Home Secretary, who is a controversial figure who is pushing for uh, like more extreme security measures in England, and it's about like trying to protect her from like this big terrorist conspiracy that's going on, and there's a lot of really really neat twists and turns, and I've noticed that Richard Matten really likes playing the hero archetype but with a spin on it yeah mm-hmm. he really likes that just between this and game of thrones and eternals like he he finds different avenues <laughs> to attack that and i think that's really really interesting which is why i want him as james bond right barbara babs <laughs> i know you're listening <laughs> right now on this podcast do it yeah cross out gene helly and write in richard madden <laughs> right <Yes>. right <laughs> And Charles dances Blofeld. Come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, very, very serious kind of political thriller. So obviously, if you're not in the mood for that, maybe watch Kingsman instead. <laughs> if you're like, oh, I need spy shenanigans. Um, Kingsman is definitely a, a more fun side of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it was only six episodes. And I thought it was very, very tight and had some stuff that genuinely surprised me. Um. So yeah, bodyguard. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, good. Uh, I also watched Mank. <laughs> <laughs> How did you? <laughs> I held off on that. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch Mank Two? Mank goes to hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for next week. <laughs> where... Did you like the part where Gary Oldman says, "I'm 35 years old," <laughs> and he's like all haggard? Did you like the part I, where where Gary Oldman says it's making time? <laughs> Did you like the part where Gary Old where they have a complaint about like we should be making movies like The Wolfman and that movie hadn't been made yet at that time? <laughs> I do think you're slightly exaggerating. I believe the line he has is that I'm 43, oh, 43. which is still which ridiculous. Is still a little push, yeah, but... yeah, maybe you're right. Sure, um, I'm 19 short... years old. <laughs> Um, I'll keep this short. I don't know if I would fully recommend it, but I really liked it. <laughs> um, it kind of is my my sort of movie, and particularly uh, we are recording this episode on a Sunday. On Mank Day. Perfect... 
It, it was right. a perfect Sunday afternoon watch, sure. and it wasn't three hours long. So That's true. Is it really um, not? No. I just kind of assumed that was like four hours. I think it's like two hours, 15, on my bat. Okay. And Charles, Charles Dance is in it, and he right. is... Keep putting him in stuff. Keep All it going. Right. Yeah. Keep, oh. keep it rolling. Uh, how 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 long is he in it? Because uh, Charles Dance is not uh, in in the episode of the Salmon I watched. It is not his usual uh, ten minute in and out got my check appearance. Uh, but I think there's st- the, uh, I'm curious uh, how much that still continues to be the case. Is he is he in Mink for an extended period of time or is he? He has multiple scenes. He's Kinda not. He is a supporting character, certainly, okay. but he's... Is it, okay. Yeah. Is it Hurst? Is that who he's playing? Yeah, he's playing Hurst. Okay. okay. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of, like, just stories about making movies in Hollywood, obviously, that's stuff that I, I enjoy sure. quite a bit, so I got I got sure. a lot out of it. Alex, Alex, don't talk me into watching Mink. <laughs> I don't. I mean, Tyler, your I mean dad, we, jo- your dad, we have man. joked about this for way too long, but it is a genuinely good movie. It's, well, it's all... <laughs> it, it, it does sure. just depend on your taste and what yeah. you're looking for, though. Sure. The black and white photography is, is quite pretty. Um, Lily Collins is quite good in that. I gotta yeah, gotta hand it to her. There were there were parts of it where I was like, oh, this this does genuinely look like a film out of like the forties or fifties, sure. like a black yeah. and white shot film. Yeah, um, it's definitely going for that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously Fincher loves that level of detail, so he's gonna get that stuff right. Didn't but... his dad write it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It was neat. I don't know if I recommend it. Sure. Bodyguard is my official recommendation for this week's episode of Here Come the Sequels. Uh, Bodyguard, I I really like Bodyguard. I've been uh, impressing to Alex that he would like it for a while. Um, And uh, Richard, there are episodes of that show where it will take half or more of the episode just to focus on like one police operation, like one negotiation or uh, extraction or something. And it doesn't feel dragged out. It doesn't feel um, boring. It's very, t- like, the pacing of that show is so good. The finale, I will say, is one of the most yeah, tense. Yeah. Very tense, yeah. Like, police scenarios I've ever seen on a show. And one of the final scenes is one of my favorite bits of Richard Madden acting and is such a great button to put on that particular show for that particular character. Yeah. Um. He goes into a room, sits down, and tells another person a thing. And I was like, that's what I want to see after a after a show like this. Like, that's the angle I want this to go out on. Um, and yeah. the woman who plays his wife, Sophie Rundle, I think is quite good. Um, Keely Hawes, there's a lot of good actors in it. It's a, it's a very, very well done series. All right. A paucity of Mank, though. So who are you going to? Right. I, right. I just had to sneak um, it in there. So good. If you so want to <laughs> see, uh, if you want to be kept up to date for when we finally review Mink, uh, you can find us on herecomesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us at, uh, or you can email us at herecomesequels.gmail.com. We are on Spotify. We are on Twitter. Uh, we are on all the podcast distribution apps. We uh, are on Mank. We are like on if, Mank. If you if you go on Netflix and click on Mank, there's a little link <laughs> like, for us. I don't know how we got it, on there. It's, it's under like Explore the Mank collection, and there's some little stuff about <laughs> your <laughs> But for some reason, it's our Scooby Doo 2 review. I don't. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, even all this three happened of us. a few weeks ago. Netflix reached out. Uh, Ted Ted specifically was like, "Hey man, we'll pay you like a hundred million dollars. We don't really know what we're doing anymore, but." Uh, <laughs> 
So, I mean, now we, you know, we're probably going to get up to like, a, you know, slightly nicer mics. Uh, yeah, maybe. And yeah. Uh, the rest will go to, uh, I don't know, probably funding all our lives for the next couple of years while we watch Mink. Yeah, I've been I've been eyeing that second Dark Pictures game with Will Poulter. That's that might be. Yeah, I think we can find that in the budget. A couple of those, you know, <laughs> couple. Of them. I, I'm just gonna get a nice uh, framed poster of for Mink. Like that's mm-hmm. that's all <laughs> I need. That's art. That's uh, art on my wall. <laughs> so and this is this. I think I should be clear. It's not a sponsorship. I, this was a sponsorship. Uh, I, I mean, I'm legally obligated to tell you that it was a sponsorship. And uh, go watch Mink on Netflix. Yeah, use our promo code. Mink. <laughs> you know, Netflix has been cracking down on password sharing, but what if the password is one of their properties? What if the, I get on there loophole. and I type in, it's my password, like, I don't know, unsolved nonsense, whatever they do on there. Yeah. Is this cake? And then there's... <laughs> they're like, no, mink? no, it's... <laughs> no, no, no. It's, no, it's Netflix. Your your password is like for a movie that they used to have on there, but they don't have it anymore. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm typing in my pack- password is Inception. Why does it say we think you might like? <laughs> I'm on the password. I, I never know if the Phantom Thread is going to work as a password or not. It, just, it kind of <laughs> seems to to kind of vault back and forth. Same with Raw. I'll watch movies one day. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be too busy watching Mank in the meantime, though, which is not a movie. It's an experience. It's uh, true. Mank in the meantime. That's, it's, that's it's, our it's, podcast. It, it, it's Mank in the meantime. With, it's, with, with it's, your breezy bros. It's the best theme park ride you could hope for. <laughs> get, a, get your little umbrella drink and sit back for Mank in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Good Good times, good manks, great oldies. I've been Britain. This was a good podcast. I've been Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Called shot. I've been Tyler. Um, and you're having mank in the meantime. <laughs>